This episode comes with a trigger warning. The topics discussed are not suitable or recommended for children and sensitive listeners. Hi everyone, welcome to Shades and Layers. This is season two and my conversations with black women entrepreneurs are continuing. This time I will focus on the topic of well-being. Very broad, I know, but mental wellness, self-care, identity, self-love, meditation, mindfulness. Well, they've all been the buzz, especially during the past year when COVID-19 forced us to stop our normal lives and really introspect and see what's going on around us and um, see how we take care of ourselves, of ourselves uh, amid the chaos. So my guests in these uh, next 10 episodes are mostly solopreneurs who have dedicated their organizations and well, their lives, rather, to making sure that in all the complexity and madness of the world, black women are all right. Most importantly, um, I think why I like these conversations is because all these women are defining the terms on which they go about achieving their chosen missions. So this is something that is really close to my heart, you know, owning and defining yourself and uh, living life on your own terms. It's not an easy path to walk, but uh, the people doing it have amazing stories to share. And I hope you enjoy listening to them as much as I enjoyed putting the stories together and having the conversations with these amazing women. So in no particular order, here goes with Shades and Layers Conversations for Season 2. In this episode, I'm speaking to Togo Zanindaba, founder and executive director at Ndetelelo Foundation, which is a South African nonprofit that works with marginalized youth, girls and young women. Um, and they, what they do is basically support their behavioral change, um, uh, healing and personal growth. And the main activity at Ndetelelo Foundation is an after-school program for young girls in Alexandra Township. It's one of the country's poorest neighborhoods, and ironically, it's located just across the highway from Africa's richest square mile, uh, which is the financial district of Santon City. Uh, Togazani is an award-winning uh, human rights activist and theater practitioner. She uses applied drama and theater techniques to help drive change in this particular community. So in order to sustain her work, she teaches abroad and forms partnerships with many South African and international organizations. And you'll hear about them um, during our conversation. Um, I invited her for this conversation because of the importance and impact of her work. And you don't need to know much about her to understand that she's doing work that is in line with her soul and her core beliefs. I will link to some of the accolades she has received in the show notes. And um, I think right now, without further ado, we can just get into the conversation about Ndetilelo Foundation and how it came about. We started the foundation because in that area, I was working with the ward councillors and just talking about to them about looking at ways of how we can prevent flooding because it's a squatter camp and every year they get flooded and mm -hmm. people just come to take pictures and government promises things and they leave and nobody really cares. So I started working on them to say, how can we avoid flooding? What are the cause of flooding? So I work with the water department and I was working using theater techniques. I'm a theater practitioner, as you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. So while we're working and we're going through this, we're like, Togazani, the work that you do. And that time I was still working with the squatter camp in Timbalisha with young girls there through UNISA. Right. And they were like, Togazani, we love the work you do, but we think it will also benefit 
our young girls here because you work a lot with young girls and empowering and giving voice. Why don't you start a program with young girls um, here? We have a a eleven year old who's pregnant. She's HIV positive, and mm-hmm. the baby was born positive. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Wow, this 11. is 2017, 2018. How can this be possible? Because the clinic, if somebody must have picked up, and then you cannot go without being checked. So that's how we started. But our work basically it's around um, helping young women um, mm-hmm. to find their voices and also to help them build resilience from within." And to find and to find a sense of self mm. to help them think and 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 see themselves uh, in a better light, and they never stop dreaming. Because if they think of the situation where they are, they're gonna keep falling into traps and at risk um, mm. situations. Just yeah. because there isn't bread at home doesn't mean that I need to go and sleep with them. Eight sixty-year-old men, so that I can put bread on the table. Just making them believe and see that this situation will pass, mm-hmm. and you'll mm-hmm. be better. So basically, we help marginalized community build resilience, find their own voice. We work with behavior change, with the hope that it will influence big uh, social change. Mm-hmm. So it's all about behavior and self-love through self-love and self-respect techniques. Mm. And you use theater to uh, build those um, those skills, those life skills. Yes, how Mainly do you do we that? We are a theater, an applied drama and theater initiative, but we use different art methodologies. So sometimes we use visual art. Uh, for example, uh, we work with a friend of mine, Lady Scully. She's one of uh, right here, yeah. an, an, an South African artist. And uh, she worked with the girls on their, I uh, asked her to come and work with the girls on their hu- human rights violation, mm. violations, because every year we take part in the human rights festival at Constitution Hill. Mm. So I said to them, um, because usually we act skits, um, I'll tell you soon about what Forum Theatre, the main technique that we use, which is part of the theatre of the oppressed. Mm. But when I got Laura to work with them, it was just on their human rights violation for the festival. So they were, I got paint and I got brushes. We went to a studio for three days and she helped them and they started painting. Amazing. They painted mm-hmm. stories of we don't have food, we don't have toilets, we don't have water, we get raped, uh, we neglected, we don't have anything, the schools, the teachers don't show up, all those things. So they drew this and wrote things on the side. So we exhibited at Constitution Hill for the Human Rights Festival. And also we were able to then, when we got our pickup truck donated, I work with a graffiti artist and they took all their work and put that in the car. So I drive a very colorful worker, mm. but they see themselves mm. in that. And somebody sees them. And it's so important because people ask them their stories and you can feel the pride and the joy of just knowing that somebody sees us. Mm. Uh, you know, that is also powerful because when you see yourself, when people see you, you start seeing yourself, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. as something else. So that's one of the tools we've used. And then we partner with Market Photo Workshop every year. 
where they use photography to to share and tell their stories and share about their life experiences and mm. where they are and what happens to them and as young women. So we work with the ages between 12 and 17. So as young women, they're, so what they're they face in their daily lives. So the program was Images and Selves with Market Photo Workshop. And we did six months there and they produced work. The young women from the foundation, two of them, their work was selected and they were part of this big exhibition uh, by Cyril Ramaphosa Foundation. Mm. So they exhibited their stories. One of them was sharing that through all the shacks and um, there's no toilet, no lights, no all the suffering, but there's still happiness in that. We still find joy, there's still love, there's still peace. And another one shared that they have a one-room shack. They live, but their mother is still able to give them love and support and look at them. So Nelson Makamo bought those two images, which was a big thing for them. They were with the first That's lady. Amazing. So the president, just also the opportunities and also the platforms that we're able to engage. Mm. The main thing for me was that also they were standing on the ground where... Um, our prominent women who fought for the liberation of this country, yes, of they were in chains, they, mm. they were in shackles. But these young women, because of those women who went through that, through the chains, through the pain, and fighting for our liberation and the liberation of the people of South Africa, this day we're able to have young women there taking the stage, taking the mic, and expressing themselves and their Mm. Yeah, right, and uh, mm. where they are. We also use a lot of poetry and um, we use music. Um, mm -hmm. But like I was saying, the main technique that we use, our main technique uh, is an umbrella of applied drama because we believe that it's easier with drama because um, when we want to go to community and educate about, um, for example, if you're in a neglected community, you end up neglecting where you live. So there's a lot of dirt and whatever. So theater makes it easy for people to participate. And this technique that we use from the theater of the press is called forum theater. So forum theater, the performance uh, is like you're in the lechutla and there's a facilitator who becomes one of the girls. They're able to facilitate and the people jump in and try and bring in the positive from the negative. So mm -hmm. basically, it of the oppressed is about people finding their own solutions. So we use it to educate communities. We use it to raise awareness around gender-based violence, which is our main thing because they get raped every day, we up and down and caught. And it's also theater of the oppressed, uh, the forum theater. You do all this work there. and mm -hmm. you see all these uh, individual changes in the girls do you see any major changes in the community where you're doing all this work? That's a very important question, Tilly, what you touch on, because most of the people or funders or wherever, I mean, we get donations. But when you talk about people and you approach them, they're like, how do you measure the change? You know, it's very hard because people are so used to measuring and, 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 and like... Um, quantify and all those mm -hmm, things but mm -hmm. with our work how do you measure it's through behavior so remember i said to you part of our work is working with um self and changing your behavior with the hope that it will change uh, the community at large so what happens like when i started the group three years ago 
because, it, like I said, it was self-love and self-respect, but main focus on behavior change, but through these little things, it was vital for me to bring in their parents because if I'm changing the young women, they cannot be going back to those homes where they're toxic, where they feel like, I think my mother is trying to sell me for sex. Mm. I think my dad, when he touches, you know, my uncle. So how do you bring in the parents so then you're on the same page? So then I bring in the parents where every time we have the pot, where we're cooking the pot and you have the children saying this to the parents and the parents saying this, and how do we then them themselves find their own solutions because you're not there. They live in this community. So mm-hmm. now the parents then they have their own programs where they help and educate the neighbors and do their own programs. So that's how I've been able to touch the bigger community there. It's like what we do with the kids, we do with the parents, and then it goes to the communities, the churches and all that. You're listening to Shades and Layers with Gudwanus Kosana Ritchie. My guest today is Togozani Ndaba, founder and executive director of the Ndetelelo Foundation in South Africa. Later on, you will hear other concrete outcomes of her work in the community of Stuetla in Alexandra Township. First up, here in the next part of the conversation, we get to know how Ndetelelo Foundation is structured and uh, the practical day-to-day activities that have an impact on the girls' lives and their education. So how many of you work at Ndetelelo Foundation? How are you structured? Well, the structure is that uh, we have board members um, and then I'm basically running around on my own. Right now we have Didi who started to help us with mindfulness and yoga. She's coming in. I'm hoping that she can help me, help me full-time this year because sometimes the counselors uh, that we find from um, counseling, they don't come because uh, all the time because of finance. I need to give stipend. Mm-hmm. And then people come and volunteer now and then, but we don't have uh, enough stipend for people. I usually keep... Um, the funds for tutors for example now we need tutors because the school was supposed to open now end of this month Mm. but the government has postponed the opening of the schools because of the covid um yeah infections are Mm. getting higher and people are dying so they shut down the school until the 15th of february but now they're starting with the schools that are open to do online learning. And for us, we have no electricity, no television. That's a luxury, online learning. And they don't have parents who can teach them, even if we have the, um, even if they had electricity. They do, their parents are not educated. They're not on that level. The parents don't understand the homeworks because mm. yeah, the homeworks are hard these days. So <laughs> I I'm saving I'm right in the middle of all of that. <laughs> I cannot even tell you. I, like, school has become hard. <laughs> and then I, I make sure that I, I pay tutors to come and help teach. Mm. So basically, uh, I will say that I have a team of volunteers and then me rushing and running mm. as every day with the help of the girls, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. What does your typical day look like? So... Let me make one example. A typical day will be I need to be in court at Magistrate and Alex um, at nine because most of the girls get raped like almost every day. There's always a different case. Uh, before then, I would have been there at eight or half a seven for the court preparation officer to work with the young girl to prepare her and then go to court and then the magistrate probably three, four hours 
then leave, take the child and the mother home, um, make sure that they're okay. If I have to take the child to the counseling, take the child to the counseling. By that time, it's already 12 hours one. Then I run around, buy, uh, usually every day I buy them rolls, rolls and cheese. We usually have margarine that lasts us. We buy big margarine and then we have oros and then I buy fruits every mm. day. So they come after school where we meet. We meet from three until um, five. Then they talk about their issues, what happened at school. Usually the teachers are not at school uh, for a month and then they have to write tests, ex- exams. There's 78 of them in the classrooms. You know, they keep trying, but nobody's trying. The government, so we'll talk about how we engage the government and we do work. And then sometimes I ended up leaving the place at eight or half past eight at night, depending because each and every, I have 30 kids, each and every one of them has to talk about the situation, what happened at home, where they are, what's going on. Not all night. Some nights I'm able to leave at five or six, mm. but it's very rarely that I'll leave before six. Yeah. So basically you guys pro- provide a wellness oasis, so to speak. Exactly. We, it's a, we call it a holistic you can call it that a wellness oasis, but um, it's yeah, it's an after-school program that we meet mm-hmm. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So Monday we help with literature classes, literature classes where I'll have like proper writers who will come and teach um, a writing class that will help them how they write essays at school. You know, because what happens in the schools they are taught in their mother tongue in primary school. But mm. when you get to high to school, school, everything is in English. Yeah. It's like, imagine going to high school, to school, you taught in your language, and then high school, it's Russian. Mm-hmm. But you, everything, science, everything, you're confused. So if you look at our social media, you see them trying to read, mm. and you can see mm. they're struggling, but we move. And then on Tuesday, we do uh, mindfulness, uh, yoga mindfulness, where they deal with their traumatic situations, like I told you about the court and the rapes and mm-hmm. whatever. And they go through days of no food at home. So how do we handle that situation? So we'll do yoga and training um, them on mindfulness to say how do they cope with their traumatic situations. And then on Wednesday, that's when we use different techniques now to prepare to talk to their peers, communities involved. Even we're trying, like I said, we're trying to have a boys program mm-hmm. and yeah. school. So Wednesday is, is when we use the techniques and mm-hmm. dedicate it to other things. You're listening to the Shades and Layers podcast. My guest today is Executive Director of the Ndetelelo Foundation in South Africa, Togozani Ndaba. She is a rape survivor and has dedicated her life, career and non-profit organization to changing the lives of other survivors for the better. She has worked with organizations focused on gender-based violence and others serving youth at risk in marginalized communities in South Africa, Curaçao, and the United States and other international locations. She could have chosen another path given her talent as a theater practitioner, her social status and network, but something inside of her was always calling. In this final part of our conversation, we talk about that and also get a little more personal and get to know her and who she is. You had this traumatic uh, youth and um, I mean, I'm sure it's been a lot of processing and sadness and anger and all the emotions. You know, what finally clicked? What 
happened to say, okay, I need to start a foundation and it's going to do this and this and that. And, you know, let's, let's see what happens. So, um, when I was uh, violated at 12, I didn't know anything else, but at, 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 in the township, we had community halls and there was a theater program that was going on there. So I found a shield in theater at a very young age. Um, I use it as a shield and I found refuge in theater. So I studied drama and theater. I went to DUT and then at VET, I did my honors and I did my master's in NYU. So all of that is theater and drama. But then I found applied theater, using theater as a tool for change, healing. And, and I did drama therapy, using drama with the aim of healing. Because in the gender-based violence spectrum and uh, spaces, we talk about how rape happens again and again to people who've been in that situation. Because when I was grown at 19, I got raped again by a friend, uh, a very close friend where I ended up having many me, as you know. But um, so mm. I draw from the pain, my own pain. So it helps me, it pushes me to move forward. And also when I moved to New York, I was selected by Ford Foundation. So it was 300 people who applied and they selected 50. And out of the 50, I was also selected to be, got a scholarship to do my master's at NYU. Fantastic. So yeah. when I did my master's at NYU, part of it, I was teaching in schools and I always work in prisons. And here I still work in prisons in Sun City. But when I was working there, I started working with, my passion with the youth and young girls um, where nobody wants to go in the Canassis in New York and the parents are in prison, the parents are on drugs. Mm. So I was working a lot there and the program and whatever. And I was just like, no, man, I need to go back home. This work is needed at home. But here they have all the resources, they have teaching artists, they have all the performance, they have all this thing. But at home, we do not have that. How do I go there? and take what I'm doing here and take it home. So that's when I started coming back home. Like I was still living in both places, but then I knew what was needed. And then that, when I had the story of a young girl, it just, I just knew what I had to do. Mm -hmm. But also you couldn't just come and work with the young girls and say you're building resilience and self-esteem and trying life skills program, basically like without thinking that the food at home, that situation is what put them at risk behaviors. They end up in places where they shouldn't be because they're trying to survive. Mm. Imagine mm. sitting in the classroom and you're trying to grasp whatever knowledge becomes impossible with an empty stomach and you know you're going to go to bed empty. Mm. So whenever we meet, I try that there's food, but I draw from the pain that uh, I've gone to, I draw from what I've lived through and also what I see within the country that nobody's going to do anything, no government, and everybody's waiting for funds to say, when I get this money, but the kids are getting raped, whether there's funding or not. Yeah. The country is on fire, whether it's funding or not. How do you yourself take part into making a change and a difference in this yeah. world? I don't know if I answered you yeah, correctly. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, I, w I want to get... To you personally, how how has this work changed you? Um, for me, um, I say that my main thing in this world is tr is to strive to be a better human being every day that I was the day before, and it's a very hard work, but it's changing me every day through this young woman's life 
through the experiences that I see. Like I say, the kind of stories that I have to share with people that uh, my child was just violated yesterday. I have to go pick her up and sit with her for a weekend because they can be in that square camp over the weekend where the rapist is still there, still not arrested. There's, there's no way that cannot change you or soften your heart or make sure that it drives you to even do more. And uh, yeah, it affects me personally sometimes. Um, it's hard to even wake up because I feel like if I have enough resources, I could be doing more. And those things try and cripple me sometimes. And I get sick out of my work because of all these things that I carry for them. I have to contain the space for them. And um, because I have the tools, like I said, I've done trauma therapy and applied trauma helps us with a lot of tools to be able to hold the space and contain that helps me. But um, sometimes I can barely stand on my own. So how, uh, sometimes. I mean, you've got these techniques, but you know, how, where's your oasis? Where, where's your wellness oasis? Where do you go? What do you do? Well, because I cannot afford therapy, um, with the, there's a, a foundation that I work with in New York. It's called Eben Seminary, which is how I make money because usually I travel and run uh, and facilitate workshops using these techniques, like I said, in different communities. So Eben Seminary is a theology school that I've worked with before and I work in different universities where I teach, but mm. I haven't been able to do that work, as you know, because mm -hmm. of COVID. Yeah. I've been stuck here. So Evan Seminary created this um, program to heal, who healed the healers. So all the activists, because I, I had a group of activists anyway in the States where I work with, like I said, some of the people I'll introduce to you in Seattle. But um, so they created this um, group of healers to say who heals the healers. Some people are medical doctors. Some people work in the forefront in the hospital now during COVID. Some people do the work that I do, but using different techniques. Others are musicians. Others are poets, like different healing techniques, but basically to make a difference in this world. So we gather every two weeks and we talk through Zoom about what's going on for you. And that space has been... Like you said, the wellness place and the uh, oasis for me where I go and fill up my cup because it's so important because it's hard to pour from an empty cup. Mm. But I don't have the luxury to say that, oh, my God, I must check myself in at Akia because this is a lot. I don't have that luxury. Mm. So what I do is I use that space. So we actually had one final one on Tuesday night. So mm. from 8 o'clock until 11 at night. I was on that Zoom, so that helps me. Great. So back to, to you again. So for those <laughs> who don't know you, where did you grow up and what was your youth like? Well, up until um, age 12. <laughs> well, I grew up in the township. My mom was just uh, a factory worker. My mom's not educated. Um, Which township? I was very... Pardon? Which township? There are so many in South Africa. I grew up in Peter Marisbeck in Nimbali Township. Mm -hmm. It's one of the biggest townships in and Peter Marisbeck is called Nimbali Township. So I grew up with my grandmother and my mother. 
and um, she worked in the factory and my grandmother looked after me and we by we started the crash at the age of two and then I was started primary school at the age of four at that time it was wow. sub A and whatever because my cousins were older but I was well at crash, you know, when you've gone to crash they say you advanced. It's not like now. So I started <laughs> school at the age of four. I'm quite smart, you know. I listen. Okay, okay, I know. <laughs> I, I don't push it out there as a main thing because for me those things are matter. But anyway, I grew up there and I went to school at the age of four and grew up there in that primary school until yeah. What else did you ask me, Tuli? Yeah, I just asked about, you know, your your youth and what you remember from there. I mean, your girls, uh, you know, when they did um when they did the art project they mentioned that, mm-hmm. you know, we live in a one room, but, you know, there's still love within our home. Can you name three favorite memories from your childhood? My memory was getting Christmas clothing, Christmas clothes. That's a and, favorite. <laughs> uh, which I try and and get for my girls because some of them they never get Christmas clothes and don't even know. Some of them are HIV offense and they're HIV positive themselves. So what I got when I was young I try and share it with them. So that was very one of the very important things that I look up to. Um Christmas clothes. And also I played a lot. So I used to play teens on the streets and whatever. So part of the techniques that I remember that I bring in, everything that I had from my childhood, I bring it in here because um, it helps a lot. Mm. So, oh, I was talking about fun things. The fun part also <laughs> was when my grand, my grandmother used to, like, for holidays when my cousins would come and everybody would be at my grand's house, she would line us out and she'll take a horse pipe and, you know, scrub our back with soap and, <laughs> and a stone and whatever. And we make sure that we always been clean. So those are the childhood memories that I remember that I can take, that I take with me. I mean, there's more, but I'm sure I cannot. Yeah, no, I'll just ask for, for your favorite ones. And uh, those are the first that came to mind. Well, that's the ones I just was talking about not long ago with friends. Yeah. With the play, because uh, I use play techniques a lot, and yeah. the my grandmother washing, <laughs> washing us. <laughs> so then, uh, at age twelve, of course, this traumatic uh, sexual assault happens. Uh, you had no one to talk to. I mean, how how have you healed? Yeah, um, healing is a process. Um, you can never completely heal. I get heal, healing through my work. Doing this work heals me a lot because I tell them that at least they have me to talk to. They cannot talk to their parents. Sometimes the parents blame them. Sometimes the parents, you know, being a parent, but they know they have me. So that is part of my healing. And yeah, it heals me. And before... With Minimi, I used to pity her a lot, you know, and feel sorry for her. And yeah, but I've learned to not do that and let her live a life and yeah, see herself as a person, you know. So we've covered your organization, how it's structured, what you do. You've got partnerships and you also depend on uh, on donations. And uh, you've yes. got a, a board of uh, directors. 
So what's we also have AIDS Healthcare Foundation, which is a company that's been helping me a lot. Remember, I said they bought us a pickup truck. Mm, mm. They bought us a pickup truck, yeah, and also awesome, this yeah. year they said, "Zani, you do a lot of this work." Because of COVID, our funds are exhausted, whatever, is a big organization. But what we're saying is, the work that you do, you cannot be on the street, find a home, and we'll pay rent for you. Isn't it great? That's amazing. That's great. Amazing. This is how I heal. So this is part of my healing, you know? Mm. It brings so much relief because I haven't been able to go work, like I said. Mm. So mm. I work in Boston, main um, mm. at college and I still do work. I was supposed to be at Pennsylvania University teaching. Like mm. I said, I work with Eben. But I'm stuck here. <laughs> <laughs> here you are. Oh, we've all had our wings clipped. Don't know when I'll be home again. Oh my goodness. Well, you managed to get out, you guys. Oh, out. We were running away from a zombie apocalypse, I can tell you that much. <laughs> but um, oh, yeah. Tokazani, where can people find you? How can they get involved? And um, yeah, any final thoughts on uh, on the work that you do? Okay. People can find us on our social media pages. So I try, I use a lot of my Instagram page, but I try and also post on the our organization page. So if somebody out there is a big social media guru and they're good and they can help us with posting and content, we're going to be able in the future to pay somebody to do our stuff. But right now we can't, we're not able to. So if anybody has mm -hmm. time and um, please contact us on our social media pages, we are under that's a little foundation. It's got its own page. And oh, my handle is at Zanindaba. We're also on Facebook. We also have a Tetra Foundation page on Facebook and on Twitter. And then we also have a website that is supposed to be shut right now because it's supposed to be under construction so on the website we try to put we want to put a volunteer page where people can know that they can volunteer we need people for english classes mathematics science we need people to come help with yoga classes and whatever we need counselors we need counseling and anybody can help us with writing finding proposals you basically need people to give their time in these uh, areas yes and also money because i'm trying to get them not to have roles every time if they can have like proper meal like like you know like nutritious meal so if somebody knows um, how we can get access to food parcels and yeah those things will help us but what i want to leave people with is that you know let's be kind in the world and I feel that COVID was here to teach us all and remind us all about kindness that it's all been all about me 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 how do you get yourself and say what is my purpose in this world you know it doesn't have to be going back into the community and doing what I do but just giving love to somebody we don't know what might have happened to them you giving love and kindness it might just shift something in their heart you might change somebody's life you might save somebody's life and if you can contribute like how you're doing Tuli you've created a platform for people to know about us you're engaging people you have um, this project that you're doing is not stuck in where you are 
uh, physically, but you're able to make a difference in the world to bring this platform for people yeah. to share, for people to be heard and seen. And that is important. So I think people, if they can find this within themselves to do whatever they can to make a difference, then change in this yeah. world. We can have. And that is all for this week. Thank you so much to my guest, Togozani Daba. It was really, really very insightful conversation. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And um, that is all for this week. Thank you for listening to Shades and Layers. If you want to stay in touch in between episodes, follow my Instagram page via the handle at Shades and Layers Podcast, one word. Or you can just send a message or a comment on this episode and others on the podcast. You can do that via the Shades and Layers podcast handle on Instagram. Until next time, please do take care.